It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow! Ow! Some things never change, like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on, and Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. Please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Welcome to another episode of the Bulls HQ podcast. Thank you for joining me. Recording this straight after the loss to the OKC Thunder, which was, if you've caught the game, probably one of the worst offensive games that you have you would have seen in a long time from the Bulls. I dare say one of the worst offensive games the team has produced in maybe the last 15 years. I could be being a little bit dramatic about that since I'm living in the moment at the moment, so I could be wrong I'm sure there probably was a game that was worse than that but right now I can't think of one off the top of my head just a horrendous performance (laughs) just just terrible so um, if you haven't caught the game and you're planning on watching a replay I would strongly advise in avoiding any replays it do not waste two hours of your life Um, so take that from me I'll cover that game very quickly here in the podcast I don't want to spend too much time dwelling on I guess breaking down games because there's not really a lot to learn that we don't already know from from these watching these games. We know a lot or we knew a lot heading into this season what this team was going to be about purely based on the roster construction and and the fears that we had about this team from a roster perspective have become very clear this week. I know the team started off really well this week against the Cleveland Cavaliers in in that 119-112 loss where the offense looked crisp. There was a lot of three-point shots. The efficiency of the three-point ball was there. Shooting 52% from the three-point line, the Bulls did, making 12 12 three-pointers in the first half, which was really encouraging. But what the Cavaliers did in the second half was almost a precursor of what would happen in the following two games for the Bulls. So the Cavaliers really started to hone in on the Bulls' three-point attempts in the second half, really started to man Larry Markkinen out at the three-point line, being really aggressive with him to the point where they took away his shot 
and took away a lot of the bull shots, really, from, from everyone from the three-point line. And in doing so, the offense just couldn't keep up with the Cavaliers, as you would expect, and the team eventually lost that game. Despite that good performance against the Cavs, even in the loss, the rest of the week was just some terrible offense, just shocking offense, really. The, the efficiency on the shots were just was not there, and that's purely because the, the Bulls just don't have good enough talent that can convert and create shots in order to create efficient shots. So that was evident in the game against the Hawks, despite the Hawks being a very bad team like the Bulls, not having anyone necessarily that can shut down or, or dominate a game, I guess. The Hawks were still able to apply good defense against the Bulls because really the Bulls are a team that are pretty predictable on offense. They're a team that's going to rely heavily on the three-point shot. They want to move the ball, want to pass the ball around because they have no one who actually can take the ball on the bounce and create a play. So they're they're trying to pass the ball around the top of the key in order to get a clean shot from the three-point line. But the Hawks were able to take that way and take that away, and the Thunder even took it to another level today against the Bulls, switching everything on defense and forcing the Bulls to, I guess, try to create off the bounce by because there was simply no no three point shot or no good clean efficient shot that was available from three for the Bulls. So just just a bad week on offense for the Bulls, and all the issues or the fears that we had about this team offensively. Um, when the three-point shot isn't falling, really came to to bear this week. So, and it's going to be an on it's going to be an ongoing problem as we progress through the season. So, once teams start adjusting and start scouting every other team more thoroughly, we're going to notice teams are going to be switching a lot on defense if they have the personnel to do that against the Bulls, and they're going to be forcing guys like uh, Jerry and Grant, Chris Dunn, Denzel Valentine. Paul Zipser, these sorts of players to put the ball on the floor, make them uncomfortable and extend themselves past what their skills can actually be and and force them into being playmakers off the dribble, which neither of those or none of those players, I should say, can do. So it's going to be a problem for the Bulls. They're going to need to find a counter. Whether they have the ability to do that, given the talent on the roster, I'm not too sure. But it's become pretty evident straight away that this team is going to have a, pl- a problem if they can't create an efficient look from the three-point shot. And as I mentioned before, that's exactly what the Thunder did to the Bulls today. They were switching everything on defense, and the Bulls just could not respond, shooting 28% from the field, 27% from the three-point line. The volume of threes were there took 37 attempts, almost 50, 50% of the Bulls' shots were from the three-point line, but they just could not make a, a decent enough clip to stay in this game, and the Thunder were force, forcing the Bulls to create, and the Bulls just simply don't have anyone on this roster that can create a shot, and, and that was evidenced by the fact that the team only had 16 assists uh, compared to the 19 turnovers today, so... It's going to be a problem all season long as to how the Bulls battle and continue to, I guess, play through these games when they don't have the ability to create off the dribble. And it's going to be a problem offensively. Heading into this game, the Bulls were already ranked 30th in offensive rating and 29th in true shooting percentage. I haven't seen the stats just yet, but I could imagine that they definitely have not improved on those numbers since the game concluded. I'm sure they'll go down to 30th in true shooting percentage once once the... Uh, the stats are updated on NBA.com, but 
just some troubling signs for the Bulls as we sort of progress through this season. And I think the problem with that is that in preseason, the Bulls did look quite good on, off, on offense. Even if the efficiency may not have been there, the ball was moving around. It actually looked like an enjoyable offensive system um, for fans to actually watch. And we're obviously all expecting the team to lose games, but if they were losing and playing a product of basketball that at least looked enjoyable, I think people could cop that. But at the moment, the team just looks just really bad on offense, and that's because they don't have a counter to teams and teams adjusting to their, their style of play. So it'll be interesting to see how the Bulls counter that. Obviously, they've got a few players out injured at the moment with uh, Miritich, obviously, with the broken face. Zach Levine still recovering from the ACL injury. They're two of the Bulls' best offensive players. So maybe that changes once once those guys get back. But currently, until they are back, which is probably several weeks away, this is going to be a bit, a bit painful to watch unless the Bulls happen to, to play themselves against one of the, you know, a bad, a bad defensive team of sorts. So flowing on from that, I wanted to talk about expectations of our players, particularly guys like Jerry and Grant, Denzel Valentine, and, and Cristiano Felicio, and, and what their role is, what our expectation of them is, and, and how we actually go about assessing these players. Myself, I've been critical of all three of those guys, probably more so Valentine than the other two, but I've started to think and almost catch myself post-game and and, and start to wonder if I am being far too critical on these players. And the reason why I say that is they're effectively playing roles that they're not really meant to be playing. Take Grant for an example. He's starting at the moment uh, at point guard. He's probably one of the worst starting point guards in the league, if not the worst at the moment. And I guess that's really unfair on him. Obviously, he's trying to develop into being a capable starting point guard. But is that really his likely projection? Probably not. He's not really a point guard. He's more of a combo guard and someone that you would prefer to play as a bench player rather than a starter. Ideally, that will be his role in his prime. But at the moment, due to circumstance, he is the starting point guard for the Chicago Bulls. And because of that... Because he is the starter, there is an expectation that he should be able to know how to operate in pick and roll, should be know how to, I guess, carry out the functions of a quality starting point guard. And that's just not his game. And we unfairly as fans put these expectations on someone like Grant. I definitely do that with someone like Denzel Valentine. He's been cast into that role at the moment as the team's sixth man, someone that can come off the bench and obviously shoot some threes. But beyond that, Hoiberg is also asking Denzel Valentine to be a creator of sorts, to create out of pick and roll. And he just doesn't have the foot speed or the athleticism to really consistently do that. So what I end up doing is I start judging him as an NBA sixth man, when in reality, he's probably more of an eighth or ninth guy that could come in and be a really good, effective player in a limited role, spotting up and shooting threes and doing little bits and pieces here and there. But because... The Bulls are asking these types of players to be more than what they are. In the moment, I judge them quite harshly. And I'm getting the sense that most fans are doing the same. And then that, that makes sense. When you're watching the game, you're obviously highly emotional and you're wanting to see these players improve. But I think we're wanting to see them improve into something that is far past their ceiling. And I wonder if by thinking these guys are performing so far under expectations that we're losing sight of the fact that these guys may still be able to be 
capable NBA players, just not in the roles that they've been given. So without sounding too preachy, I'm just wondering whether we as fans should try to think about that a little bit more when we're watching these games, not to necessarily kill someone like Jerry and Grant or Denzel Valentine when they're not able to make a play that we would expect a normal NBA point guard or a sixth man to to be able to make. And that's not to say that these guys shouldn't be blamed for any errors they do make, any basic fundamental errors that they do make. But if we're placing unfair expectations on these guys, that we sort of need to check ourselves a little bit and realize that when you put these sort of players that aren't capable of fulfilling these roles into larger, larger roles, naturally they're going to look quite bad. So I don't know what that necessarily means. I doubt it means anything, but it's just something I've been thinking about myself in terms of how we assess these players, how we grade their performance. And we're probably checking out on these types of players far too early and it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see someone like Grant or Valentine go to another team in a role that better suits them and actually become capable NBA players and thereafter we sit here a year or two later and think well why couldn't that they be that player for the Bulls reason obviously being was they were casting too big a role for them so it's just something I've noticed as I've been monitoring games online on Twitter or on forums whatever it may be that we are down on these players, understandably. I'm, as I said, I'm guilty of it too. But I've just been thinking to myself that I need to remind myself that these guys are actually probably good NBA players or capable NBA players, but not necessarily for the role that the Bulls are asking them to be. So whether you take that on board or not, it's just the, it's just the recent thought that I've had. Anyways, moving on. Um, I'm going to be introducing a segment of sorts on this podcast just to keep these things moving and it's sort of I guess just some analysis type stuff where um, just things I've seen in games that I'd be interested in discussing and and I guess the way I'm going to structure this is more of a format around stop start and continue uh, in terms of what I'd like to see the Bulls start doing stop doing and continue doing so some things I'd like to see the Bulls start doing and A lot of this probably is obvious, but I would like to see them start looking for marketing more on offense. And I guess it's a little bit hard to say at times whether they are are purposely avoiding marketing for whatever reason or whether they're just not used to his tendencies and not not 100% sure where he always is on the court or just growing used to him as a player or whether it's a deliberate thing that they're actively avoiding him. I'd be surprised if that were the case given how good he has been and given um, he is the best offensive player on the Bulls at the moment. But I'd like to see them start forcing the ball a little bit more to him and and, and going through him more on offense rather than just using him as a spot-up option. So today against the OKC Thunder, Markkinen only had seven shots, which is far far too small a number. He had 15 points and eight rebounds, so getting 15 points on seven shots obviously speaks to Markkinen's ability to really maximize his efficiency from the three-point line, but he also has that capability of getting to the basket and getting to the free-throw line. But still, seven shots is too little of a number for your best offensive player. So I want the Bulls to actively start looking for marketing more, whether it's in pick-and-pops, whether it's in isolations on the blocks, or whether it's more creative offense for marketing, whatever that answer may be that Hoiberg wants to employ, I think their Bulls need to really start getting him the ball a lot more than than seven times um, for a shot. That's far too small a number. 
Another thing I'd like to see the Bulls start doing is to be moving more actively off the ball. So if you sort of just focus on the offense, and in particularly in this Thunder game, the team was very stagnant. And I I kind of get that why that is. A lot of that was because of the defense that the Thunder were applying. But at the same time, the Bulls are used to whipping the ball around the perimeter and, and until they find that open man. And in doing so, they sort of get into the tendency of just staying in that position into their little zone on the three-point line without a lot of movement. So you, if you watch guys like Markinen or, or Denzel Valentine or whoever it may be, they get caught wherever they're positioned. And when the ball is on the opposite side or wherever it may be, they sort of stay there and they don't necessarily move to help their player who may be in trouble. And that's obviously going to be a problem for the Bulls. They don't have a lot of creators. So this team needs to actively move in order to create space for someone to create a driving lane or to provide an option for someone if they do get caught off the dribble and then are not able to create. So something I think they need to start doing a little bit more is moving actively off the ball. I understand that they want to remain on that three-point line for those shots, but at the same time, if the Bulls become too reliant and too stagnant in offense, their offense will become utterly predictable as it already has become. So I think they need to start doing that a little bit more as well. Some things to continue. I really, really like David Nwaba. So the moment he stepped on the court, his energy, his athleticism, and his ability to jump were very noticeable. And on a team of athletes or lack of athletes, a guy like Nwaba pops even more than probably what he would on other teams. So I'd like to see Nwaba get a little bit more playing time. He was huge against the Atlanta Hawks, 15 points and 11 rebounds. I think he's a really good option in transition. Something the Bulls need to do a little bit more of as well is getting into transition. And someone like Nwaba is a really good option in transition. He's terrific athletically, so he's always going to be running those lanes really well. He's a strong finisher inside. And we've already seen him cut baseline a number of times and finish strongly with some dunks. So I think he is someone that needs to be playing a little bit more, whether he's taking minutes from Zipsa or Holiday or Valentine, maybe all three. That's up to Hoiberg to manage. But I think Hoiberg actively needs to find some more minutes for David Nwaba because someone like him who has that ability to move in offense and can really break down that offense just purely with his movement and his cutting he reminds me a lot of Ronnie Brew and Jimmy Butler back in 2011-2012, someone that can create some offense just by movement. So I'd like to see the Bulls continue to play him and, and almost increase his role. Another thing that I think the Bulls need to continue doing is playing this smaller lineup that they've been playing. So because of Portis and Miritich being out, Hoiberg has been forced into playing a smaller power forward, whether that's Pondexter or Nwaba or Holiday or whoever it may be, or even Zipsa, I should add. Those players have been spending minutes at power forward, and that's just due to necessity. But what it has done is forced Hoiberg to play a smaller lineup, which is actually interesting to watch because he hasn't really done that during his time here in, in Chicago. And, and obviously a lot of that is based on the roster and, and the Bulls having a a loaded front court with capable guys at the four and five position that are more traditional bigs. But I have liked the look of the second unit in terms of its its makeup. There is a lot of space out there, even though the players themselves aren't necessarily uh, spacey type players that provide a lot of gravity with their shots. But the lineup is small and athletic and can run a little bit. The problem is, unfortunately, that 
the offense really isn't uh, good enough to create any points on that second unit. But aesthetically, I like the look of that second unit. And I do wonder with Dunn coming back now and getting a bit more experience and exposure and comfort with his team, whether the second second unit of Dunn, Nwaba, Valentine, Felicio, and maybe Pondexter can start to form a bit of an identity of a team that can space around Dunn, that can really push the ball off defense and try to really get in transition to sort of break out of these second second quarter droughts that the Bulls have gone through, averaging only 17.6 points per game in second quarters thus far through the season. So I think that lineup, because it's small and because it has the ability to run, if they do get defensive stops, I kind of like the identity of that team. Now it remains to be seen whether that particular unit can actually get stops and can really push in transition. And if they don't, what can they actually create in half court? But I've been sort of wanting the Bulls to play smaller lineups for probably six to seven years. I always wanted Lel Deng to be converted to a power forward of sorts, even if it was just specific lineups. It never really occurred. So seeing someone like Pondexter or Nawaba playing some power forward and sort of rotating as to who the power forward is on that second unit with Zipser as well. It makes me happy even if the results aren't necessarily fruitful. Um, So I want to see the Bulls continue exploring that smaller lineup, at least while Portis is out, who I'll assume will come back and take some backup power forward minutes. Moving on to some things I want to see the Bulls stop doing. They definitely need to cut out the turnovers. They have no chance of being involved in a game at all in terms of winning. Even though we don't necessarily want them winning the games, we want to see high-quality games, even in losses. They need to cut out these turnovers. The Bulls are currently 29th in turnover percentage. That just can't happen. They're having more turnovers than assists at the moment in certain games, and that's exactly what happened in the Thunder game. 16 assists, 19 turnovers. That can't happen. Now, obviously, that generally will happen when you're playing a very switching defense and you have a lineup that doesn't really have anyone that can create off the dribble. You're going to force turnovers or commit turnovers rather. So it's not entirely unexpected, but obviously the Bulls need to stop doing that in order to create some offense for themselves in the half court and get guys like Markinen going and obviously to stop creating transition point opportunities for the opposition. So they need to cut out the turnovers as soon as possible. Another thing the Bulls really need to stop doing is, I guess, these second quarter scoring droughts. That needs to end as soon as possible. It's killing the Bulls at the moment. Any chance they have at winning a game is pretty much uh, vaporized after the second quarter sort of elapses. Obviously, we don't want them winning games due to the tanking reasons, but at the same time, we want them to be competitive. But games uh, have the tendency of being over at half time for Chicago because their second quarters are that bad. I mentioned before that I like the aesthetics of the second unit being a smaller lineup, but if that's not going to continue to work and it's not necessarily going to actually help the on-court production, then the Bulls really need to be actively looking at some ways to increasing the offensive output of that second unit. So that potentially could include something like subbing Larry Markinen out of the game earlier in the first quarter. That way you can bring him in early in the second quarter. That way he can be the focal point of the offense in the second unit. It would help to get him some more shots against lesser players, which is something I mentioned before. I want to see him taking more shots. And it would also be an opportunity for that second unit to have a real offensive weapon out there with it to make 
hopefully that unit run a little bit more seamlessly. On top of that, if Chris Dunn were to remain as the backup point guard, it would enable Chris Dunn and, and Lowry Markin to, to share the floor a little bit together, which is something obviously the Bulls should be trying to establish if these two are going to be the long-term starters at point guard at, and power forward. So they need to stop these second quarter droughts if possible. I don't know if it is possible to stop that given the talent level, but they need to start trying to find some creative ways of scoring the ball with this second unit. Finally, the other thing that I've sort of noted that I want to see stop happening is this shooting slump from Justin Holiday. Now, I'm assuming it's a shooting slump and that's all it is, but on the season thus far, his numbers are not good, shooting 33% from the field and about 35% from three-point line now. Justin Holiday, I guess, has been cast into the role of being the lead scorer on this team and going back to what I mentioned before around Players having to do more than what they're capable of doing. I think Justin Holiday is a classic example of a guy that's doing far too much. He's taking 15 attempts per game from the field, which is two, probably three to four too many. I understand that someone needs to shoot the ball on the Bulls, but at the same time, the shots that Holiday is getting, a lot of them being quick threes, they probably aren't necessarily the best offense that the Bulls can generate. I understand this isn't a good offensive team and they're never going to be an efficient offensive team, but they can do a little bit better than a quick Justin Holiday 3 or running Holiday around a screen for a deep mid-range 2. So I think they, there, is, there is an ability there to create a more efficient offensive shot than that. So I'm hoping it's just a shooting slump from Justin Holiday, but he really needs to cut that out. If it's not a shooting slump and this is just how he, how efficient he's going to be as the lead option, then the Bulls really need to be get creative about changing the shot distribution in terms of field goal attempts around who is taking these shots. And like I mentioned before, maybe getting a few more shots for marketing. And if that means taking three to four shots away from Justin Holiday, who's currently shooting too much, then I'm more than happy for that to happen. So moving on from the game analysis side of things, more so to news, there hasn't been a ton of news this week, but I guess what I wanted to cover was the Bulls exercising the options of five players on the roster. So it was announced the other day that Jerry and Grant, Denzel Valentine, Cameron Payne, Bobby Portis, and Chris Dunn had their options exercised for next season so their rookie options were extended an extra year so for probably three of those players I wasn't surprised to see that Grant Valentine and Dunn it was always obvious that they were going to have their options um, exercised so the Bulls are always going to be bringing them back Bobby Portis again I guess personally I mentioned last week that I would have no issues at all with him not being on the team going forward given what happened with himself and Miritich, but obviously the Bulls have exercised his option, so he will remain for the team this season as well as keeping his option on the books next season. I kind of understand that because if they are to trade him, a team probably wants to keep Bobby Portis around for as cheap as possible, and his rookie deal is a cheap contract, and I guess the team that were to take Bobby Portis on via a trade would prefer to make that option around his future contract themselves rather than have the Bulls decline that offer now and being forced into, I guess, having a, do- a declined option on Bobby Portis's contract next season. So I can sort of understand the, the logic behind keeping Portis and ex- ex- exercising his option for next season. It's, it 
does make a little bit of sense to me. But the one that is bewildering completely uh, is Cameron Payne's <laughs> Cameron Payne's deal being exercised. I don't know why they would do this from a basketball perspective, apart from timing, maybe. They obviously haven't had a good look at him this season to see if he really is their point guard of their future. And I guess they had to make that decision now. And if for whatever reason he does break out and proves to be their point guard of the future, having him locked up on a rookie deal for the following season does make some sense. But if we're talking about probabilities as to how likely it is that Cameron Payne is actually going to turn around his career and turn out to be a capable NBA player. I couldn't imagine the chance of that being any greater than 5%. That's just a a ballpark number that I've pulled out of my butt, but I think that sort of makes some sense. I don't see how Cameron Payne is going to be in this rotation in front of Grant or Dunn or, or even Kay Felder, to be honest with you. So interesting that the Bulls have done that. My skeptical view is it's purely a PR move. I understand that there's some people internally in the Bulls that still think that Payne can be a competent NBA player, but really, I, I do think this is a bit of a safe face. They don't necessarily... Well, I guess it wouldn't look too great uh, for the Bulls to decline Cameron Payne's offer only several months after trading to Taj Gibson, Doug McDermott, and a second-round pick for him, so... I think it is a bit of a PR move. I don't necessarily think it's a basketball move, or at least I hope it's not a basketball move because if the Bulls actually do think Cameron Payne can be a good player and are scouting him as such, I fear what that means for how they view other players around the league. So that was kind of strange to see Cameron Payne's option exercised. I I was expecting it to be declined and him not being on the team going forward, but... There you go. His contract will remain on the books. Whether Payne does or not going forward will be, remains to be seen. Whether they actively try to look for, for trades for Payne in maybe Bobby Potter steals, who knows. But all five players had their options exercised. The only other bit of news that I thought was relevant discussing was Miritich effectively putting a me or him type situation forward to the Bulls in relation to keeping Miritich or Portis. So this was reported by Casey Johnson as well as uh, Vincent Goodwill and Joe Cowley, I believe. So all three sort of put this story out there that Miritich's camp had effectively gone to the Bulls management and it said, it's either me or him, which makes complete sense. I can't imagine how these two players will be able to be around each other. Portis broke Miritich's face. If I was in that position, why would I want to be anywhere near a guy that put me in hospital and broke my face. And conversely, if I'm Portis, why would I want to be around a guy that I punched in the face? So it doesn't really make sense for these guys to be on the same team going forward. And it doesn't surprise me at all that Miritich has put this forward to the team. The issue being here is that Miritich can't actually be traded until January 15th, given when he signed his deal. So that's a potential stumbling block. I would assume Miritich is back before Jan 15, and Portis definitely will be back before Jan 15. So how the Bulls sort of manage this scenario, I'm not too sure. It's clear that Miritich wants to remain in Chicago, um, but he's obviously put it forward to the Bulls that he doesn't want to remain in Chicago with Portis. Now, if he does accept a trade to a whatever team it may be, as, as I mentioned last week on the show, 
Miritich does have a no-trade clause. He can agree to a trade if the Bulls are trading him to a team that he agrees to. However, he has complete control of that, and given that his time around when he can be traded is after Jan 15, I would put it that Miritich is probably more likely to stay with the team than Portis. But maybe the Bulls do try to run this thing out. Maybe they try to... I don't know why they would, but maybe they do try to keep Miritich and Portis around, try to have them reconcile the situation if possible. It doesn't seem like it's going to be a tenable situation based on what has been said and reported currently, but who knows? But it has been a bit of an interesting development that, as I said, Miritich has put forward a me or him type proposal to the team. So... That sort of drama point won't be leaving the team anytime shortly. I'm sure it'll be an ongoing story as we progress forward, particularly as Portis sort of works himself back into the rotation after next week. His eight-game suspension will be up shortly, so it'll be interesting to see how this thing progresses and and once we know more about Miritich's health status, I guess. So we'll see how that transpires. So that just about does it for this episode of the podcast. Before I go, looking ahead in terms of the schedule for the upcoming week, the Bulls have games against the Miami Heat on the road as well as the Orlando Magic on the road and then they're back at home on Saturday against the New Orleans Pelicans. So a pretty tough week. All three of those teams have been playing pretty well at the moment to start the season. So in terms of tanking, there's an opportunity for the Bulls to rack up three losses, which would be ideal. We'll see how they go, but the Bulls do have some serious competition for that top three pick at the moment. So looking at tankathon.com, if you haven't familiarized yourself with that website, you definitely should. It's an invaluable resource for a tanking team like the Bulls, just checking daily where, where, where all NBA teams are sort of situated in terms of record. The Bulls currently have the fourth worst record in the league at one and four. Dallas Mavericks, of all teams, are the worst team in the league at the moment, at 1-6. So the Bulls do have a bit, of, a bit of work to do in terms of tanking. There's other teams like Atlanta and Sacramento, who are ahead of Chicago. We've seen Atlanta and how bad they looked. Teams like New York and LA and, and Phoenix as well are going to be competing for a top three pick as well. So the Bulls have some work to do in terms of the tank. So if they can rack, rack up some early season losses, that would be quite ideal. So hopefully that occurs this week with some some losses against the Heat, the Magic, and the Pelicans. And I probably should have brought that forward a little bit because it, it always feels weird ending a podcast on wishing your team to lose some games. But that is, I guess, the state of the Bulls. We want to see them tanking and uh, getting a really high pick. So thanks for joining me today. I'm going to be trying to get a podcast out every week. I'm assuming the product will be bearable enough on the court to, I guess facilitate our podcast every week hopefully the Bulls are able to produce a style of basketball that is actually entertaining to watch that will actually I guess give me the impetus to actually want to record a podcast every week as well as you guys wanting to consume a podcast about the Bulls every week so we'll see how we go but the, the plan at the moment is to get a podcast out every week Monday morning US time hopefully everyone's okay with that but as I said if things start looking really dire on the court then don't hold me to that because it might be a bit tough to get motivated about recording a podcast every week about this team but here's to hoping that the team looks good but at the same time isn't too good and just uh, jeopardizes the tank so we'll see how they go this week but thank you for joining me and I'll catch you next week 
Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.